We're in uh, week two of a series entitled Prayer. And what we're doing is talking about what we're calling transformative prayer. It's the type of prayer that's not so concerned or interested in what's going on out there, but more what's going on in here. Uh, that type of prayer, the, the, the former there, we will talk about in the last two weeks of this series, but for, for these four weeks, last week being the first, today and the next two, we're, we're talking about the type of prayer where, where God changes what's going on in here. Looking deeply into the Lord's Prayer, for it was his disciples who said, teach us how to pray, and then Jesus responded with these words. A, a very simple prayer, not long. Now, of course, we know, because when Jesus prayed, he prayed for long periods of time, uh, that we're not supposed to just repeat these words, but we're to see it as a, a pattern, a, a teaching of the, the nature of how we pray. And so this morning, what I want to do is pick up from where I left off last week. And so I'll give you a quick recap. Last week, we talked about how prayer is relational, how it's relational in nature. And it's relational, uh, I ended with this diagram. Uh, it's relational to, a, to a, a God who is personal to us, who is powerful. He's our Father in heaven, who's also um, purposeful in, in that we're praying his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we understand the relational nature of God in a personal, a powerful, and a purposeful way, that it postures us in prayer to pray with honesty, to pray with humility, and to pray with hopefulness. This week, what I want to do is go deeper into the rest of the prayer and talk about how then we, we begin to internalize, or as we pray, we are internalizing um, uh, what God is speaking to us, typically through his scripture, uh, in such a way that it then produces something new out of us. So to pick up from a, another previous sermon, a few weeks ago now, I talked about this idea of digging. I used uh, um, an acronym DIG, D-I-G, where the D was discovering the gospel, and how do we discover the gospel, whether that's through a, a sermon, a teaching, right, or just reading the scriptures on your own, that we discover the truth of the gospel afresh every time we go into the scriptures. But then what we do is we internalize it. Well, how do we internalize what we read or hear? I think through this type of prayer that we're going to talk about this morning. And then the end result of that is hopefully growth. See, our aim every Sunday, my aim as, as a pastor is not just to convey knowledge, to convey information, but to, uh, to teach and to instruct how it is that we can all grow deeper in Christ, how, how, less, uh, how, how more of us can be stripped away so that we reflect Christ more. I believe this is the job of teaching or preaching. And so every morning, uh, every Sunday morning anyway, uh, we, we work at this. And so this morning, uh, this type of prayer, I hope, is helpful for you in helping you become more like Jesus. Here's my preface for the morning. Unless we do the deep heart work of transformative prayer, we will never experience the transformation that God wants us to experience. Unless we do the deep heart work of internal prayer, we will never experience the type or the level of transformation that God wants us to experience. 
that it is in these moments of deep heart work of prayer that God begins to change us. Jesus, of course, I believe is the great example of this, his prayer in the garden and then his consistency to always go to prayer before Big things happened in his life. We see Jesus in prayer. Another example would be in Mark chapter 9 when the disciples were trying to do a spiritual work and they were unable to do it and they asked Jesus, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus responded, oh, that kind can only happen through a deeper prayer. That there are certain things in our lives that will not be changed by a casual sermon, an occasional morning devotional, your favorite song on K-Love that there are certain things in our heart that have to be worked out through the deep work of internal prayer. And this morning, I want to give you a kind of a template for that. Now, of course, this comes out of everything we've already talked about. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're starting today from the preface of our personal, purposeful, and powerful heavenly Father. The next Part of the prayer, of course, goes like this. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These three, of course, read like requests. Give us, forgive us, lead us. Asking this personal, powerful, heavenly father to now do something in us. Now, these three requests, of course, at the first glance, seem very simple and very basic. They're very short lines. But underneath them, I believe, are deep truths of how Jesus is trying to teach us how to pray. And so this morning, what I want to do is just present the simple basic line as it's presented, but then try to get down to the heart of what I believe Jesus was teaching here, and this is how you ought to pray. So we're going to look at them. One by one this morning, starting with the first line right there. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, when Jesus talks about bread in Scripture, he's always talking about it in two different levels. At level one, he's talking about physical, actual bread. God taking care of us and our needs. He fed the 5,000 with literal bread. But as he's also talking about bread and the physical nature, he's also talking about it in a different way, in the spiritual side. And so uh, he, give us this day our daily bread is a physical statement of God taking care of our physical needs. But underneath it, we also see that it is a spiritual statement. Give us this day our daily bread. May we be content in Christ. Now what I'm suggesting is underneath this statement, give us this day our daily bread, is what we're going to call contentment prayer. Contentment prayer. That underneath this statement is the question, am I content physically, spiritually, in what I have in this gospel? If we were to take a second and think through our typical prayers... Isn't it true that if we were to just pause for a second and look at our typical prayer list, that if you kind of studied it, that underneath it is often a lack of contentment. God, give me the raise. Give me the job. Give me the promotion. Give me 
the spouse, get whatever. And I'm not saying these types of prayers are bad. I'm just saying for a second to step back and pause and go, yeah, in fact, what I'm doing often in my prayer life is I'm laying out and asking God for the thing that I feel like I most need in order to be able to move forward in life happy. I've shared this before, but I, I used to lead a lot of student ministries groups. And, uh, and so we'd sit around and I'd say, what are your prayer requests? And every seventh grader or ninth grader, whatever, would look at me and say nothing. So I learned very quickly to stop asking that question. Instead, I would ask them, hey, what are you most worried about right now? They could answer that one. What are you most excited about? They could answer that one. And then I realized that's just your prayer request, typically. It's just a trickier way of getting there. And the most excited or the most worried would often be something like I just laid out. It would be this thing they thought, if I can just get that, if I can just get that, then I'll be okay. In his writing, Paul said that he learned the secret of being content. How did Paul learn that secret? I don't think this was just an intellectual endeavor where one day Paul woke up and said, I have learned how to be content today. No, I think Paul learned the secret of being content by this type of prayer, by understanding contentment prayer. And I think in this first prayer, this give us this day our daily bread, we're moving beyond just the, the simple request of, hey, God, take care of my food needs for the day, or, or God, eh, take care. Of course, and eh, for most of us in a culture we live in, like we don't need to pray for basic sustenance, so we pray for a, a level up of basic sustenance that we think is now basic sustenance because everyone else has it, so it's like the least common denominator of what God should do for us, right? But what we could do is pause for a second, and the deep work of internal prayer might go like this. God... I really need this raise. Please give it to me. And if you stopped it for a second, maybe you would begin to ask, why? Well, why do I need it? Well, because the other day I saw this person driving that car and I know that I'm smarter than that person and yet they seem to make more than I do and be driving nicer and living better and I hung out with them and they're really not that smart so they shouldn't be making more than me anyway and so God, would you give me the raise? Or the holidays come around and it seems like your sibling who you definitely are better than is doing better. And what seems like a very simple request, God, the, the new raise or the new promotion or the, the this, when you begin to dig into it and to do the deep heart work of internal prayer, you begin to um, go back a few levels and you see at the bottom of it this lack of contentment in comparison to somebody else and what they have. And the deep heart work of internal prayer, instead of saying, God, give us this day, our daily bread, might be, oh, God, you've already given me so much. You've already lavished such great blessing on me. Can you teach me how to be content with what I already have been given? Spiritually, I mean, you could walk through the first couple commandments There's a 
parable then that kind of parallels the first couple of commandments where Jesus talks about the beauty of the gospel and he talks about how it's like a pearl and it's so beautiful and it's in a field and somebody sees it and they go, I want that. And so they sell everything that they have so that they can buy the field and they can get the pearl because they see in the pearl everything they could have ever needed. And it's a picture of the gospel of saying the gospel is so beautiful. It's, it's everything I could ever want. It's, it's my daily bread. It's my spiritual sustenance. It's, it, it, it's so great. I, I don't need to long for anything else. And so I, once you get the gospel, your desires begin to diminish for what the world would offer. And so give us this day our daily bread is is also another way of saying spiritually, God, may I be so satisfied and content in how you have lavished the goodness of the grace of the gospel on me, for me, to me, that I no longer desire the things that I once desired. See how this is such a deeper prayer than, hey, would you give me the bonus? It begins to work down in. And the end result of this type of prayer is like a a contentment. Let me just read it. The end of this type of prayer, I believe, is, Lord, I am so deeply satisfied spiritually and practically in all that you have graciously given. So now I can worship you more freely. That's, that's a prayer I think Jesus wanted us to pray. And so at the end of this first line, and give us this day our daily bread, I think even before we move into the next line, even before we move into our prayer, God is, uh, Jesus is challenging us there to stop for a minute and say, before you um, heap up any more empty phrases like the hypocrites do or the Gentiles do, make sure you've stopped and paused for a second and you have found yourself content. Because without a lack of contentment first, then it will drive the rest of your prayer astray later. So let's pause there for a sec. Now after that, by the way, what does this mean for for you and I? I think it means that the next time you lay out that request, and I'm not saying the request is bad. I'm just saying stop for a second and do the work and see What's really driving this? What's really pushing you to pray for that? Number two, next line goes like this. And forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. It's a great line. Some of you, similarly to me, grew up in an environment where you might have thought that if I um, die before I've asked for forgiveness on that last sin, that I'm going to hell, right? And so you made sure at the end of every night that you, like, cleared the slate. So what if you didn't wake up? And it was almost like, uh, like if you're like a, like a frantic cleaner or something, it's like every night you have to like take the Windex and clean up real quick before you go. And this forgive us our debts can turn into a, a type of prayer where it goes like, well, God, I said that bad word today. Please forgive me. Okay, whew, I feel better. Little Windex, we're good. Oh, God, I thought that thought. Please forgive me. No, I think there's something deeper into this one, too. 
On the very base level, yes, forgive us our debts. At the very, like, you know, the top or the surface of this, it's, it's this request to just be forgiven. But I, I think what's going on here is that what we're seeing here is the heart of the gospel, that our debts are forgiven and paid for. That really what this is, is I'm going to call it a gospel identity prayer. That in this next level of prayer, what what we're doing or what Jesus is challenging us to is, is your identity built around and built on the gospel? And what this does is it it, it drives us then to, to stop. And when we read the statement or we begin to pray and forgive us our debts, remember, we've already settled that we want to be content only in the gospel. Now we look and we say, forgive us our debts. We pause for a second and go, oh, and you already did. And how did he? by going to the cross, by taking on all of the the debt and all of the payment for our sin and by being that redemption payment on the cross and by his blood being shed so that we could be forgiven. It's he already did forgive us of our debts. And so when we get into prayer, then we're, we're praying out the gospel. We're praying the gospel through us. Like, Lord, thank you that you have already forgiven my sin on the cross. And instead of just simply asking, God, could you, could you kind of uh, wipe away that bad word I said for a second, we stop and we go, but hold on, what was underneath that? And where did the gospel fall short in me in such a way that I used that word or said that thing? Because even though there might be a part of you that feels a little bit better because you, um, um, like, like the, the slate was clean when you said the bad word, even though there's a part of you that might feel a little better, what do we know? That that prayer doesn't actually change anything. That, that prayer is not actually going to stop you from saying that word next time. It just makes you feel a little better. Is that how Jesus wanted us to pray? No, I think what he wanted us to do is to be changed by it. And so instead, next time I'm saying, okay, God, just forgive me for this word that I said. He goes, well, hold on. Why did I say that word to that person who was driving that way? And they don't know how to drive. And why did I say it? I said it because the kids agitated you when you were at home and you responded to them in such a way that made you angry when you got into the car. And the reason you responded to them that way is because you didn't sleep. And the reason you didn't sleep is because you were in an argument with your spouse. And the reason you were in an argument with your spouse is because what her sister did. And it plays out with you mouthing or yelling that word at that person who can't drive. And in your prayer time, it is easy to say, and God, I shouldn't have said that. Can you clear that up? It's another thing then to begin to say, oh, God, man, the way I responded to my kids this morning. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. But hold on. That fight that we got in last night, that way that I think about that person, what's going on there? And then maybe along the path there, you realize that what's underneath this is that um, you, you think that, that you should be happier than you are in the current moment, and so you lash out or... 
You think that the family should be in a different place than it is. And, and what you do is you just begin to reveal these things underneath. And the swear word was just the very surfacey part of what's going on in your life. And there's deep heart work of internal prayer that can really then get to where you're at. And where we want to end up in this one is a place of being um, rooted deeply in the gospel. And see, oftentimes, by the way, another way of, of working through this particular one is, is where um, and what makes us respond in a way on the surface that we shouldn't. And typically underneath that is a deeper heart issue. Like, for instance, uh, maybe somebody steals a million dollars from you, and you go, eh, it's cool. We'll be all right. You know why that might be all right with you? Because your heart is not rooted in how much money you have. And so somebody takes it, and you go, eh, it's cool. But that same person writes on Facebook, just saw someone in a coffee shop. They know who they are. They look stupid. And you read it, and you go, I'm going to kill them. Why? Because your heart's rooted in your reputation. And somebody just took a shot at it. And what it does is it begins to, begins to reveal underneath where maybe the gospel has fallen short in you. Where maybe you're not believing it to its fullest. Where your identity is not fully built on the gospel. And in this type of prayer, this forgive us our debts prayer, you're going back and you're saying, God, I want my entire identity to be built on who I am in Christ. I want to believe that, that my, my reputation <laughs> is now rooted in, in who you say I am. I want to believe that you're going to take care of all of my needs. And so I don't have to desire all of these things. An honest prayer might look like this. Lord, Reveal to me where the gospel has fallen short in me and change me to be more rooted in your gospel. And this, this is deep heart work of prayer, friends. This is so much more than thank you for forgiving me for saying that word. And where then is this supposed to lead? Forgive us our debts as what? As we also have forgiven our debtors. That then as, as you're praying through the gospel, then you can begin to pray through the gospel and then you can begin to live the gospel out to those in your life. So the gospel breaks into your heart and then the gospel is able to go out. And by the way, notice the sequence of the prayer. It is starting with uh, Jesus teaching us, you do the hard work inside of you. You examine you before you go out. In other words, deep heart work of prayer goes like this. God, what needs to change in me before I just looking out and saying what needs to change in them? The deep heart work of internal prayer goes, goes, God, okay, because now I'm looking and I'm asking you, where's the gospel falling short in me? Change me. And isn't it so amazing that when you spend some time and you ask God to reveal what's wrong in you, how then you will look at that other person differently. And then you can actually be humble. You can actually be forgiving toward that person. Why? Because God has shown you where you have fallen short. And then he shows you how much he loves you in the midst of it. And then he asks you, 
would you just extend the love that I've extended to you to that person? Can you begin to see how this type of prayer is the way that marriages and broken relationships and friendships are restored and fixed? That this is the type of way that somebody actually changes spiritually. That maturity comes through this type of work. Digging in and letting God take out when he's taken out. Let me suggest every disciple of Christ prays in this way. The text uses the term of those who do not. Hypocrite. That to just use the phrases or the words, but not do the deep work of the transformation. Jesus goes, I'll tell you who those people are. They're hypocrites. They don't really want the gospel. They don't really want the gospel to break in and change them. They just want to speak it. They just want to pretend like it is. This prayer, by the way, the end of this gospel identity prayer then might look like this. Lord, reveal to me where the gospel has fallen short in me and change me to be more rooted in it. Help me to live out this new gospel, this new gospel identity in all my relationships. And when then you're, you are solidly rooted on the gospel, it is in that place then you actually do have the freedom to forgive that person, to get over it, to move on. But it is only when you are rooted in that way. It is in when you are fully rooted in the gospel and you can see how God has forgiven you that you can look at somebody else who messes up big time and go, yeah, I've been there. But come on in because I know God can change it. Number three, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the third part of it. I'm going to call this freedom prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. After we have um, become content in the gospel, after our identity is now being built in the gospel, then we get to be free out of the gospel. By the way, this is the fun part. The first two steps are the hard part. This is the part where you get to then walk and live in the freedom of the gospel. But a lot of times what we want to do is jump from here all the way over there. We think I can just skip all of these steps. I want us all over here. Those first two steps are essential, but then this one. Uh, oftentimes, we, we look at this and we say, okay, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's like this prayer that's like, oh, and God, I know Satan's bad, so just kind of protect me from him. Or deliver us from evil being like, God, the next time I see the cheeseburger, help me walk away, right? Deliver me from it. 
It's not incorrect to pray from protection against the enemy. And it's not incorrect to pray that God would help you in the areas that you need changed and transformed. But I think there's something deeper going on here. Because when we, um, are, when, when we resist temptation and, 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 when, and we don't give in to evil, then what does that make us? Free. Holy. We're, we're, we're then free from the law of sin and death. We're, we're free from the draws of the world. And so I think at the heart of this prayer is us saying, God, now help me to walk in the fullness of your gospel. I think it comes at the end for a reason. I think that after we've, we have been rerooted in our personal, relational uh, uh, nature that we have with God and my, my relationship with him, after I'm rooted in who he is, my father in heaven, after I've done some prayer where I've examined and my content in the gospel, and then I've rooted myself in a gospel identity, which allows me then to live freely in forgiving others and getting over the past and doing whatever I need to do. Now I'm looking out and I'm saying, okay, God, now I'm ready for what you want me to go do. And as I'm going to do it, keep the enemy away because I don't want any of that. And help me not to fall back into those temptations and those sins. Help me to walk in the freedom that you have given me. It is at this place then where I think we can start praying things like, and God, I don't want to be anxious anymore. Why? Because I know that you're going to take care of my needs and I can be content in it. God, my identity is rooted on the gospel, not in how much I make or how much I have. And so I don't need to be that much uh, that worried about the job and the promotion and the raise and the this and the that anymore. And so because you've gone through those processes, now you can say, and I don't want to worry anymore. And he goes, and you're not going to. But if you just say, God, help me not to worry, but you don't deal with these two steps, guess what you're going to keep doing? Worrying. If you're caught up in a sin issue, whatever it might be, there might be a part of you that says, God, and help me to resist the drug, to resist the porn, to resist uh, the food, to resist the alcohol, to resist the whatever. And you might earnestly pray that. But what God might want to do is work you through a process where you ask yourself, why was that or why do you engage so deeply in it? And as he begins to reveal and change you at that level, and then you pray, and God change me from this, he goes, yeah, I'm going to. And you walk in freedom. By the way, it is understanding the fullness of this type of prayer that begins to help us understand what sometimes seems like a paradox in the scriptures. Like when Paul says, I am the worst of sinners. And then on the other hand, he says, I am free in Christ than a new creation. Where, where David can lament and pour out his heart before God. And then on the other hand, say, joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. And you look into it, sometimes you go, wait, which one is it? It's both. It's both. This begins to help us understand how how I can fully understand the depravity of my sinful nature that God has redeemed and is redeeming and will fully redeem me out of one day, how I can understand that. And on the other hand, I can confidently say that I'm a child of God, I'm a co-heir with Christ, that I am a new creation, that the old is gone, that the new has come. 
It is through understanding this type of prayer that I can both say, I forget what lies behind and I press on to what is in the future. Only through this does this begin to make sense. By the way, you might say, what, how do I know what needs to be worked out of me? Well, we did a whole series on this. All right, this is how the Bible and prayer work together. This is why we dig first. We discover the gospel afresh in the scriptures. This is why James said that looking into the Bible is like looking into a mirror. And the most mature of Christians look into the mirror consistently. They keep going back to the mirror, like it says in James, and looking at it. And then when they do is they realize how they look. And they look into the mirror, the perfect law, and then it begins to break in. And so we do this in partnership with our reading of Scripture. Okay, as I read, I read, I read, it reveals to me something. And then instead of just reading it, then I do this deep heart work of prayer. And what does it produce on the other side? Changed people. Changed people. See, we, we err on neither side. I don't want to be overconfident in my own self-righteousness, nor do I want to be unaware of how much the gospel has already changed me. I want to be both. I want to know that God has already done such a great work in me, and I want to know that there is also stuff that needs to be pulled out of me. And then I want him to pull it out. This is discipleship. This is is how we grow. Let me, before we take communion here in a second, end you with this prayer then, combining our first two weeks. Father, in your infinite strength and wisdom, do what is best for your glory and make me content with the gospel and able to extend the gospel to others. Make me free from both active sin and a wandering heart. Do you see how this is so much different than just throwing out some words? This is the prayer of a person that says, I have chosen Jesus. I've chosen this gospel and I will do whatever work needs to be done to make sure that all that needs stripped out of me is stripped away. I will say this also. It is this type of work that will save a marriage. It is this type of work that will restore somebody who's been deeply hurt. It is this type of work that will allow you to walk away from the thing that has held you back for so long. It is this type of work that will begin to restore hope in the places where you've lost it completely. It is this type of work that will take a faith that has died or really close to it and reinvigorate it to the place of passion that you once knew. This 
is the type of work that brings it about. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.